Good morning, everybody. It's 10 o'clock. I'm Tim Harris. It's time for 10 with Tim. Good to see you all. I love you so much. Uh, we do this every day uh, at 10 o'clock, uh, about 10 minutes in the Word of God, going verse by verse. And right now we're in the book of Ephesians. Today's Ephesians chapter 3. Man, I love this so much. Um, the last couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 3 are probably my life verses. And, and I know I know. by now y'all don't take me seriously because like every chapter, every verse is my favorite, <laughs> which is kind of true. But honestly, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3 are just amazing to me as a, as a believer, as a man of God, as a pastor. I just love those. But, but let's, let's start at the beginning and get, get to them. Chapter 3, in some ways, and, and I, I mean this respectfully because it's God's Word, but it's also a letter written by a human being named Paul. And it's kind of a mess. I don't mean that in a bad way. I love this chapter, but it's kind of a mess uh, in the sense that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's perfect word, and yet it's got human fingerprints on it, you know? And so Paul begins in verse 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. By the way, you do know that God gave me, you know, it's like Paul is in the middle of something, and then instantly interrupts himself and does this entire excursion. Uh, he literally leaves the sentence in the middle. Verse 1, uh, you know, the prisoner of Christ for the, for the sake of you, the Gentiles, the nations is what that word is there. For the sake of you, the nations. You, you do know, by the way, you know, he just really stops. And everything in between that and verse 14, like we got 12, 13 verses that are just like, they came into Paul's head and he just wrote those things and he comes back to the prayer he meant to pray at the beginning and, and it, it's just the most magnificent thing ever. But do you know what I mean? Do you see that? Um, New, Living, New Living Translation has the ellipsis dot, dot, dot to just kind of show you that he just broke that. Uh, and literally in the Greek, you can see it very clearly because there's not even a verb in verse 1, and the verb for verse 1 doesn't show up again until verse 14. <laughs> so anyway, um, my high school English teacher would have had a field day with this, but but still, it's just so good. It's just so good. Uh, assuming, by the way, Paul says, you do know that I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I've been given the special stewardship, the special responsibility. I love how God's grace doesn't just save you. It also brings you in and puts you to work, you know. And so Paul you know, once he grasps the, the plan of salvation, immediately he's put to work, you know, to spread the news of God's amazing plan of salvation. In verse 3, Paul calls it a mystery. It's one of Paul's favorite terms, and he refers to the gospel as a mystery uh, in several places throughout his writing. So well, what do you think that means? Uh, you probably can't think of it the way you think of mystery in, in our culture, the way we use that word mystery. Mystery is something that you don't understand, something impossible, you know, maybe a scary story, a mystery story, a whodunit, you know, kind of thing. Um, something you got to figure out, something you'll never know. It's all just a mystery, you know, but that's not at all what Paul means when he says that the gospel is a mystery. For Paul, it, it, it much more specifically means something that was formerly hidden but now revealed. So almost like uh, an, an open secret, so to speak. Like, I don't, I don't know who doesn't know this. You know, it's kind of an open secret that, in other words, not everybody knows this, but, but, there's, but, but it's, it's, it's on full display, you know? And so when he talks about the gospel as a mystery, it's just that idea that prior to the coming of Christ, 
you probably wouldn't have known that this is how everything was going to turn out. Not that it was mysterious or impossible. It's just that you wouldn't have known what God was doing until God sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world. So prior to that, if you just looked, it looked like what God was doing was sort of isolated to the Jewish people. Um, it looked like they were, and of course they were, his chosen people, but in the sense that they had a special function in the plan of salvation, salvation history. It was never that he was the God of the Jews only, and, and, and he's never been the God of the Jews only. He's always been maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all flesh, the uh, God who made and loves every single human being made in his image, you, you know? But that's kind of something you might not have known until Jesus comes and then the gospel is revealed. The mystery is revealed and now it's plain that this whole time what God was up to is this radical plan to pour out his grace on all the nations, not just the Jews, all the nations. God's plan is to bring in and include and to save all people, all the nations, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. I just think that's so amazing and, and beautiful. Uh, again, I don't know how you wouldn't know that. I mean, God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. I mean, you know, it's all through the Old Testament. You know, we've read enough together Tim with Tim. And I mean, God's plan was always for the nations. Uh, I mean, you know, read the book of Jonah, you know, with all of that mission to Assyria, God always has been at work in all the nations. But uh, like I say, it's something most clearly revealed in Jesus who comes to be the savior of not just the Jews. He's the Jewish Messiah, but the savior of the world. And this is God's plan, verse 6. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. I love that. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news. I, I know this is difficult, especially today with the suffering of the people of Israel, and I don't want to make light of that. But at the same time, just to make clear what the gospel is, it's the same gospel. There's not a separate plan of salvation for Jews. And so Jews who refuse Jesus, Jews who refuse their own Messiah, if they refuse salvation in Jesus, there's no salvation for them otherwise. Uh, that shouldn't even be controversial, but I know that that's somehow not clear for people. We have this special place in our heart for the Jewish people, and that's appropriate because of their special place in salvation history. But make no mistake, we're all sinners and there's only one way, one name under which by, you know, uh, one name given under which, you know, men can be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. Uh, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news will share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. They enjoy all the same promises of blessing. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of spreading this good news. Again, it's the good news of Jesus, but it's the good news of Jesus for the nations. And Paul sees himself uniquely called to be that uh, apostle to the Gentiles, the, the, the one sent to the Gentiles. Uh, and this middle part, verses 7 to 13, talk, uh, to, talks about how he fulfills that calling. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I love that. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan, this mystery that Christ, creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Yeah, I, I love that. 
Verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's so hard for us to bear in mind that there's not just this physical, material realm, but there's a whole spiritual realm. And what the gospel does uh, has a lot to do with all that is happening in the spiritual realm, the principalities and powers around us, what happens you know, to the, to the kingdom of evil, for example. Uh, but Paul uh, brings that to a full light. Uh, the, the prayer kicks in in verse 14. Like I say, Paul began it. When I think of all this in verse 1 and then back to 14, when I think of all this, uh, he, he finally comes back to where he started. I fall to my knees. I fall on my knees and pray. Just remember that Jews always prayed standing up. Do you remember in, when Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the publican? The, the, the Pharisee stands, you know, and he prays to God. He prays to himself. Um, but uh, Paul here says, I fall on my knees. Again, that, that's not something you should read as, uh, as normal. It's, it's a radical kind of expression, a radical response to what God has done. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit and in Christ will make his home in your heart. Um, gosh, that's just one of my prayers. You know, Jesus, just make yourself at home in me. You know, if you're a guest in somebody's home, you know, you, you like you ask permission. Hey, you, you mind if I get in the fridge and get some more ice? Oh, you know, make yourself at home. That's what we say. In other words, you don't need permission. I, I want you to live in my house like it's your house. And and very truly, my heart is Christ's home. I, I want him to be fully at home. I want him to have access to every room, every closet. You can look under the beds. You can open every cabinet. This place is yours. Be at home, Christ. Be at home in me. Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand. Isn't this good? May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is his love. I love that. I just love that. Verse 20 and 21. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us his power at work within me to accomplish infinitely more than anything you might ask or imagine, man. Um, in other words, you think that you could ask big things of God, but you can't even imagine. You can't pray a prayer big enough, you know, to even begin to tap into the infinite resources of God's mighty power at work in you, at work in me. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Glory to him in the church. You know, there are some days when uh, church life seems glorious and some days, some seasons when it's not, you know. But make no mistake, it's still the bride of Christ and it is still the hope of the world because of Jesus and the gospel. And uh, we just want to continue to pray that Christ will be glorified in our church, in our church and in Christ Jesus through all generations for our children and our children's children. Man, I love that chapter so much. Like I say, I think it's amazing that Paul starts verse one, uh, follows this rabbit down all the way into that hole and comes back to verse 14, finishes that prayer. And it is so magnificent. Thank God for his word. Uh, tomorrow, all of chapter four, 
chapter 4, verses 1 to 32. I know I'm biting off more than I can chew, uh, but I've got daytime revival coming up here at Woodburn, uh, and, and I, I, I kind of want to finish up Ephesians before I get to daytime revival, and I missed a couple of days last week, so I'm doubling up a little, and I apologize. This is really, really good stuff. It deserves a little more time for us, but, uh, but, but I, f- I feel like this is what we need to do. So tomorrow, all of chapter 4, verses 1 to 32, and I'll see you in the morning, 10 o'clock, Lord willing, for 10 with Tim. I love you guys so much. Have a great day.